you. I'm just curious. You've had to say grace, and your prayer was about that awkward. Anybody? You say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've experienced that. Exactly. We've started a new series, and we are dealing with the topic of prayer. We've entitled it BHAP. And if you are new, just joining us this morning, BHAP stands for a big, hairy, audacious prayer. Because I don't believe for one second that God called you and I to live an ordinary, mundane life. Not for a second. And I hope you don't either. I believe that God has called us for big things. I believe God has called us for great things. And I believe just like uh, Esther's uncle told her that for such a time as this, we are here. I believe that we are called to do great things. We should be doing great things. And I believe the key component to accomplishing those things is going to be our prayer life. And as you see things in your life um, that are difficult and struggles, that should not be the time we back away from prayer, but that should be the time we dive into prayer and we lean into prayer even more so. Welcome back. We're excited that you're here. This is our third installment in the series, and I'm glad that you showed up. It'd be kind of rough if nobody showed up in the morning to preach to, and I'm just glad that you came because without you, we don't have church, so I'm glad that you are here this morning. And my goal really through this series, is that we would grow in our prayer life, that we would have bigger prayers. But not that our prayer life would grow, but then also that we would also not just pray big, but we would live big. Because that's what prayer really does. Prayer is helping us get to the point where we are living out what God has called us to do, where we are stepping out in faith, and that happens through our prayers. Too often, though, I find that our prayers are very general. Very general. Lord, help all the people out there that are sick. And Lord, I pray that as you remember all those people that don't have a nice place to be this Sunday morning, and it's just very general and very, very broad. And I want to help you this morning that God does not give specific answers to our general prayers. So I believe you and I should be asking for big things. I believe we should be asking for specific things. And I hope throughout this series that you've taken time to maybe in a prayer journal or maybe you've come back to some prayer requests that God put in your heart years ago where you're saying, Lord, you put a dream, you put a vision in my heart, and I kind of let that go for a while. And I pray through this series that is rekindling those embers, that is rekindling a fire inside of you to once again ask God for something that just seems crazy and audacious and if you told the person next to you they would think you're out of your mind that you're praying for that that you were just saying god this is big this is hairy and this is audacious but i'm going to pray it i'm going to ask it anyway because that's what this series is all about we don't want to be ordinary we want to see god do the extraordinary this morning but we're going to dive into this series and if you have your bible it's we're going to be in second kings chapter number three if you don't it'll be up on the screen and if you uh also it'll be in your worship guide if you've got one of those you can pull out you'll have scripture you can follow right along and uh, we'll just uh, dive into it well as is our custom, can we stand out of respect for the word of God and for the reading? We're not standing for me this morning. We're not standing for a preacher. What we are standing for is we are standing for the word of God. This is what we're here for this morning. It's not me. It's for this, okay? And so I pray that this morning, this book would speak to you, not me. And so this morning, may your prayer right now in your mind be, hey, Lord, would your word speak to me? Because I want you to come with an approach this morning that says, God, I need something. I I, I don't think for one second you walked in here thinking you're good on everything. 
that every, you got everything together, everything's honky-dory. I believe that we are here because we know that we need something from God. And I pray that that would be our approach this morning, that, Lord, I just need something from you. I need a word from you. I need a verse. I need encouragement. I need a blessing. I need your favor. I need something. And it's good to come with an expectant heart this morning. Let's dive into this passage in 2 Kings chapter number 3. We're going to pick up in a story in verse number 9. But before we get there, let me just give you a little bit of background, okay? We kicked off this series talking about the character of Elijah. Elijah called down fire from heaven. He prayed a big, hairy, audacious prayer, and God sent fire from heaven, okay? Well, Elijah's off the scene but he had a protege uh, for some of you that are into the Comic-Con. He had a Padawan. He had a, uh, a Daniel son. He had a little person he was training. And that person's name is Elisha. There's Elijah. And this passage is going to talk about Elisha. Now, Elisha is into his ministry. He's two chapters in, and he is serving the Lord. And there comes this passage in chapter 3 of 2 Kings, where three kings are united to go and fight an enemy. And these three kings, they leave to go fight this enemy. And the Bible says they leave on a seven-day journey. And that's where we pick it up in verse number 9 as we begin reading. Notice what the scripture says. Verse number 9. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. There's the three kings. And they fetched a compass of seven days' journey. So they went seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. It's been said an army marches on its stomach. And so for these people, they went forward. But the only way they went forward was if they had enough water for themselves and their animals. Because otherwise they're going to be crushed, destroyed. Okay? So here we come. Verse number 10. And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings to deliver them into the hand of Moab. They're worried now there's no water. They're seven days journey from any water. So now they're really worried. Verse 11, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Basically saying he was the servant of Elijah. Verse 12, and Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, what have I to do with thee? He's got some attitude with these guys. He says, get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not even look towards you, nor even see you. He's saying, hey, you guys are so bad, so wicked, I wouldn't have anything to do with you, except for I have respect to Jehoshaphat, okay? I like that he's very PC, politically correct, you know, and that's definitely not the case with Elisha. In verse number 16, and he said, thus saith, or excuse me, verse 15, he's about to give him a word from the Lord, but he says first, but now bring me a minstrel, and it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. This dude needs some mute music before he prophesies. I don't know about you. You need some special background music. Some of you are like, yeah, I know how that is. When you work out, you got some mood music. For whatever reason, Elisha said, hey, I need somebody to play something while I give this prophecy, okay? And uh, verse number 16, and he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full of ditches. I want you to find 
three people and greet them this morning and say, dig some ditches. Find three people, greet them and say, dig a ditch. Dig a ditch. Find three people, greet, greet them, say, dig a ditch this morning. Dig a ditch. And once you found three people, find your seat. Dig a ditch. Dig a ditch. That'll make sense in a little bit, but dig a ditch this morning. Once you've done so, you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Welcome. If you are a first-time guest here at uh, Southridge, we're honored that you would be here. Please, if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. We have a special gift for you. So on your way out, please grab that on your way out. We have a gift for you. We are honored and blessed that you would be here. We're excited that you would come. We don't take it lightly when people come and visit us. You are our guest. So if you need anything, just let us know. We'll be glad to take care of it, all right? Well, we're diving into this message, and we are going to be dealing with Moving the barriers to blessing. Because as we pray, maybe you've experienced what I've experienced, and that sometimes you're praying, asking something from God, but it seems like your prayers are getting nowhere. It seems like your life is kind of where these three kings have found themselves in a desert. Things are just kind of dry. You're going through your job, but it's just kind of dry. You're in your marriage relationship, but the relationship's just kind of dry. You're trying to work with your children, but there doesn't seem to be much love. It's kind of dry. You're trying to develop your person. You're trying to develop uh, maybe physically, and you just feel like, I'm just not getting to that next level. I work out at a CrossFit gym, and a lot of people tell me, I'll go to a CrossFit gym when I can't get to that next level, where I just feel like I can't break my max where I'm working out and everything, because they'll help me break through to that next level. And for some of you, you have grown to a point, but you're saying, hey, spiritually, I haven't gone to that next level. I haven't really heard from God in a while. You, Yes, you're, you're maybe opening up your Bible, and you're maybe reading some verses, and you're saying, you know what? Nothing's hitting me. Nothing's impacting me. It just seems like the same, or maybe you're getting uh, time and you're praying. You're just saying, my prayers just seem like just so stiff, just so, I mean, you're praying exactly what he was praying, you know, to love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, you know, and you're, you're, you don't know what to pray, and you're there, you're praying, and, 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 and isn't it always worse when you're praying with somebody and they're really good prayer? I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I got a little bit of an ego, a little uh, competitive spirit. So if I'm next to somebody who's a really good prayer and I'm, and I'm praying with them and they're just calling down uh, fire from heaven and they're like quoting Deuteronomy and Leviticus and I'm just like, you know, then I got to feel like I got to outdo them. So you're praying. And then if you're the hold hands when you pray type people, um, the only reason I'm not against that, the only reason I don't, because I always get like the person who either squeezes super hard, like they're in an arm wrestling match, or I got the person that like, like, like that. I mean, their hands, nothing to it. It's like a dead fish. And you're like, please give me some life there, you know? And then it starts getting kind of sweaty and clammy. And you're like, oh, oh my, we're dripping now. You know, I I don't know if I'm down with this anymore. But then you got that one person who's like into their prayer. And then like the louder they get, the harder they squeeze. And you can look down as your fingers are turning blue and purple, you know, like, hey, hopefully I don't have to have that amputated or anything. And man, they're just quoting. And so you feel like you got to outdo them. And so you're like, God, you're a, you're a good God. You're good to the last drop, God. You're a, like a good neighbor, God, always there when we need you, kind of a God. And, and you don't know what to pray for, and you're just kind of like, oh, I don't, you, you, God, you're so good. You melt in my mouth and not my hands, kind of a God. And, and you're just, you're just, 
you're not really with it. Prayers is hard for you. And so this morning, I want to help you because the key aspect of the Christian life is prayer. In the Gospels, we don't have time to go there, but the disciples said to Jesus, they only asked Jesus to teach him one thing. And they saw Jesus pray. And they said, Jesus, we want you to teach us one thing. Teach us how to pray. And you and I think that's great. That's so wise of the disciples. But we got to take into account, in their culture, these men grew up praying. It's part of the society. Today, it's not necessarily part of our society to pray. Maybe in your culture that you brought up, prayer was normal. For some of you, even to pray before a meal just kind of seems foreign to you. So prayer for these disciples, everything was about prayer. So these disciples, these disciples, they had learned prayer. Say they were fishermen, yes, but until the age of 12, they were brought up in the synagogue. That's where they went to school. And, it went, and when they went there, because they didn't have a public school education, and if they did really well in the synagogue, then they would go on, they would become, they would follow a, 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 a Pharisee or a master scribe, and they would go on, and they'd continue in that. But if they didn't develop up until 12, then they would go and take a trade. But up until 12 years old, all the Jewish boys, they were raised in a culture of prayer. They were taught how to pray. So when these Jewish boys, who are now men, who are now the disciples of Jesus, came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, understand, they were taught how to pray. They had memorized the first five books of the New Testament, the Old Testament first five books. They had it memorized by 12. These guys knew how to pray. So understand, when they asked Jesus to pray, this is like a pro golfer coming up to you and saying, hey, can you help me out with my, my swing here a little bit? And you're like, uh, what? Really? Okay. Or, or this is somebody at your work and you think they're so great and they come up to you and say, hey, can you help me with that? And you're like, you need help with that? Really? These disciples, they do. Sometimes we just think, oh, they didn't know. No, they did because this emphasized the importance of prayer in our lives. And so we're seeing this morning, though, in our prayers, how sometimes we can have these barriers. But not only that, you and I will come to a point where we have desperate need. And we start to look to God as a shortcut around our need. We look at God and we look at prayer and we kind of just think, well, I'm in a tight fix. I'm in a bad spot. So I'll just pray. And this will just kind of shortcut this process. I want you to understand, God is not your shortcut this morning. God is your solution this morning. He's not your shortcut. He's your solution. He's the answer. He's the reason. We're going to develop this this morning because here's these three kings. They've come into a spot where they're, they're at a point where they're not sure what's going to happen. And they go to the prophet, and the prophet says, Here, here's what you need to do. This is what needs to happen. And I find too often that I believe in the Christian life, we are suffering, and it's based on our perspective of our problem. You say, what do you mean our perspective? You see, in this passage, you and I, we just see a problem. We see an issue. We see that these guys are going to die. And maybe in your life right now, you've got a problem. You've got something in your life that's kind of uh, stopping up the blessing of God, stopping up the favor, where you just, you don't feel like you're getting past that. And I believe a lot of it has to do with our perspective. And many of us have stopped seeing the blessing of God on our lives because of our perspective. My question this morning is something blocking the blessing in your life. Are you not experiencing the life that you once did in your Christian life? Are you coming to a dry spell? Or if you're brand new to the Christian faith, are you still passionate about the things of God? Are you still excited when you get to go to church? Or do you already see kind of that, that excitement waning? Or are you already seeing that the desire to get in God's word is already starting to kind of, oh, I think I've got better things to do. Or I don't know if I have enough time. 
I want you to understand your perspective is big. First of all, I want you to understand your perspective will affect whether you're living by independence or interdependence. You see, God brings needs and trials and difficulties in your life for a reason. But oftentimes, we look at the needs, the trials, the difficulties as a bad thing. We look at those as that's what's here to mess us up and that's what's here to ruin my life. Instead, what God is trying to do is change your perspective from independence to interdependence. Because God never meant for you to live the Christian life independent of him. But oftentimes I see that we kind of think it's like when we grew up in our home. Parents are constantly trying to get their children to become independent. You're trying to get them off of your phone plan. You're tired of the overage on their data plan. You're trying to get them out of your home into a good job. You're trying to get them through college. You're trying to get them married. You're trying to just, hey, come on, get grandkids. You know, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's independence. You know, don't constantly, we're here for you, but uh, don't lean so hard on us. You can lean a little bit, but not that much, okay? And you're trying to wean them off the car payment. And no, I don't want to co-sign on the loan. And you're just trying to develop this independence. And that's good with you and I, but what happens as we think we grow spiritually and mature as a Christian, we think, well, the more I mature as a Christian, I should be more independent when the reality is it's our perspective is wrong. We grow more interdependent on God. See, the most mature Christian in this room realizes one truth, that they need God more than ever, more than ever. You see, my children have no clue how, much, how many times Jane and I have saved them from killing themselves. They have no clue. The other day, Megan was like, hey, can we turn on the oven and roast marshmallows in the oven? You know, and then the time before that, she put Austin in the dryer and was trying to turn it on. And I'm just thinking, you know, how many times have you as a parent saved your child from just self-destructing? You know, they're running to the pool. They're running to the fire. They're running out in the street. And all these times you're saving their life. They have no idea how much they really depend on you. Uh, But what happens is they start to mature and they realize how much they really need their help. And as you mature as a Christian, you realize how much I depend on God. You see, the need is to get you to see your dependence, not your independence. And so are you living with the perspective of independence or interdependence? That shows your sign and how you're growing in maturity. See, the goal of the Christian life is not independence, but codependence. You see, but sometimes we, figure, we see that we just use God to get things that he can bring. And if we're just using God to get things that he can bring, that's called idolatry. That means we just look at God as our cosmic Coke machine. That God is just kind of like, hey, my, my lucky lottery ticket. And so perspective is huge. Now, does God want to answer your prayers? Yes, he does. Does God want to take care of your need? Yes, he does. Does God want to answer that big, hairy, audacious goal? Yes, he does. But God is not interested in you just fulfilling your selfish desires. God is saying, hey, I want to be glorified. That's why in 1 Corinthians 10.10, he says, and whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Even in the most basic things, God said, do it for my glory. Do it so you can reflect praise back on God. You see, God doesn't want me to use him to meet my needs. He wants my needs to bring me to him. That's the reason why you have a need this morning. And your perspective's got to change. You see, you're looking at this, this barrier to blessing, and a lot of the barrier is just your simple perspective. That if you would just see this perspective that God has brought this need, not so you can get something from God, but so that you would draw closer to God. And I, and, and I as a pastor, I've only pastored about a year and a half now, but the longer the Lord allows me to do it, I see kind of the patterns people go through. I see when there's marriage troubles, people kind of come back to church. 
I see when there's a new baby, people kind of come back to church. I see when there's a new relationship, they kind of come back to church. I see when things are going difficult, they kind of come back to church. And I thank God for whatever God uses to draw them. And it doesn't have to necessarily always draw them right here. But I've seen how need brings us back to our necessity, that God is our necessity. And we see that, but then we also get back to our deep independence instead of staying interdependent. Instead of just saying, God, I need you now more than ever. The Bible says this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, one of the biggest misunderstandings of spiritual maturity is thinking that we should result in self-sufficiency. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addresses this. And he even talks about, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, I was thinking about that passage for a little bit because he's talking about spiritual maturity. He said, there was a time when I spoke as a child. There was a time when I understood as a child and there was a time when I thought as a trial uh, as a child so I, I kind of thought about it sut sut systems under tension you see you got to understand there's a system in your life that you and I are under and here's the problem with that that system is that binds our maturity think about it our children react to some of the some interesting stimuli It doesn't take much to make a child upset, especially a baby. Just take away their bottle, the baby will cry. Or or take away their favorite toy, they'll cry. Okay, why? Because of their understanding, because of their maturity. And I find so often we as Christians, we mature outwardly, but inwardly what nobody else sees sometimes doesn't keep up with the outward. And one thing the church has done, we've gotten real good at saying, hey, just do this, do this, dress like this, act like this, show up to this, be here, and you're a mature Christian. And we totally neglect the heart. We totally neglect what's inside. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, look, 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 we got to go deeper than that. We can't just be the people that on the outside look good. I've got a statement for you, and it's this. Not everyone who grows old grows up. We've all met those people that they refuse to mature. They refuse to take responsibility. You've seen that person. They get the job. They make the money. But all of a sudden, they can't pay their mortgage. Why? Because they're not taking responsibility to handle their finances right. You've seen the person. They're okay with getting other people pregnant, but they don't take the responsibility to raise the children. You've seen those people. They they, they won't take the responsibility not only to raise their kids, but even just take care of their kids. You've seen those people who they're not ready to take responsibility. And I find that there are Christians who are not ready to take their responsibility. Why? Because the outside has matured, but nothing on the inside is maturing. And there's got to be that maturity on the inside. So let me ask you this. Is your speech still immature? Is your understanding still immature? Hey, is the way you're thinking still immature? Or are you growing? Because we've got to come to this point where we are maturing. Because when we mature, we start to understand. The understanding helps us to see things. You ever gotten in an argument with somebody, and it was just based on a misunderstanding? But as soon as you called them, and you said, hey, here's what I heard. Is that really what happened? And they say no. And all of a sudden, you're not even there to meet them, but the way your emotions and everything about you just changes, the way you view that person. Why? Because your understanding is now clear. Because your understanding is fixed. You see, when we stay immature as Christians, guess what? Our understanding of how God does things in our life, we can get real mad at God. 
We can get real upset at God because we don't have his understanding. Because we're not willing to grow. We're not willing to mature. So it's important that you as a Christian mature outwardly. That yes, you are serving. You're involved in loving community. And you are helping. You're loving your spouse. You're raising your kids. That's good. But then also on the heart, what nobody else sees. And this message, here's what's good. You don't have to nod your head. You don't have to look around. You don't have to nudge anybody. Because nobody knows where you're at in your heart. Nobody knows. You can fake it till you make it. Nobody knows. You don't, you, you could just look forward and a message like this. You just look forward. Like, I don't want anybody to know where I'm really at. Just, just nod your head, smile, laugh, run a lap. I don't know what you want to do. Just whatever you feel like doing. But nobody will know because why? We can, we can fake that, the heart. But we need to be developing because we're going to see that that will block things in our life. You see, God doesn't want me to use him to meet my needs. He wants my needs to bring me to him. You see, great needs are often what drive us to God. And sadly, many of our prayer requests are, are we want more from God, so we need him less. There's a great old hymn, and I, I love it. We don't sing it too often. But it's a hymn that simply says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Turn your eyes upon him. As we once again say, God, change my perspective. Lord, help me to see with the eyes of understanding, the eyes of faith, the eyes of maturity, because I don't want to just go through life independent. I need to go through life interdependent on you. I need to see you. I need to see you high and lifted up. So it's all too easy for me to stop trusting. It's all too easy for me to just easily let the uh, things drive me away from God instead of driving me to God and seeing him. So if you're struggling right now this morning, if you've got an issue, if you've got something on your heart that's weighing heavy on you this morning, I want you to see why God put that in your life. It's so that he can get you more dependent on him because he wants to do something powerful in your life. He wants to do something great in your life. So whatever that burden is, I want you to see it in a whole new light. But then also notice this passage, if you would. This passage, here they are. Here, here are these people. They're in this fix. They're in this bind. Where do, they, where do they look? The king says, is there not a man of God? Is there not a prophet? You see, what did, what did the need do? You see, a lot of times you look at the need as a problem, but that problem is really actually your greatest solution. That brought these wicked kings to a point where they were once again seeking God for the first time. So maybe for the first time, your need is actually helping you to pray more. The reality is, and I hate to say it, but it's true. You want to learn to pray more? And if that's your heartbeat, God's going to put you through some circumstances where you're going to have to pray more. Because you're going to have nowhere else to look. God's going to put you in a circumstance where you say, financially, God, unless you show up and do a miracle, I don't know how this is going to work out. God may put your marriage in a, in a point where God says, hey, you know what? You're going to have to seek me. Otherwise, this marriage will not make it. God may put you in a situation between your and your children where God is going to say, hey, it's you and me. Finally, are you going to get real with me? So it's just you and me and you come before me. And at that point, God says, hey, I'll meet you there. I will meet you there. And I will show you that my goodness and my love is real. But so many times we say, God, I want to, I want to pray like that church member, or I want to pray like that person. Oftentimes, I find the people that pray the best have gone through some of the most horrific things. But I don't want to let that stop you. Don't let that stop you from praying bold prayers. But I'm just telling you the reality is the way you learn to pray the best is when you're going through something. You'll find that that's when you have that 
passion to pray longer and with more fervency. Notice number two, though. There's inspiration versus implementation. Here's this passage, and these three kings, they come to Elisha, and Elisha says, here's what you need to do. You guys need to dig some ditches. And he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Many times, you and I, we want God to show up, show off, and then we can just kind of take credit and go home for it. But God said, no, no, no. I'm going to provide the miracle, but you're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to work for it. And a lot of times, we as Christians, we kind of come to God with an inspiration mentality and not an implementation mentality. Now, say, work it out, preacher. Work it out. Say, work it out. Say, work it out. And I need you to engage, engage, engage. Work it out. Because right now, I can see you're not quite fully understanding. Here's what happens. A lot of people will come to church for inspiration, and that's not a bad thing. Some of you are here just to, I, I, I just need something to get me through the week. Just, just preach a good sermon. Say a couple jokes. Get Ben Stiller back on. Yeah, that dude should be a pastor. That'd be good. I'd go to his church. I'd totally do that. I like his stuff, you know. And, and you just want to be kind of, and this sounds carnal, you want to be entertained. You do. You do. That's just reality. I know, I know it is, you know, it, but it's just reality, okay? So you want to be inspired. But then as soon as the preacher says, hey, street a week, we're going to occupy all streets. We're going to go out. You're thinking, somebody else. Oh, we need, some, we need some volunteers in the nursery, and we need some volunteers in children's ministry. You're like, no, somebody else. Just get back to the good message. I just want to sit in here. I just want to, I want to hear you there. Hey, we need to build a building, or we need to raise some funds to do this outreach thing that we're going to do, and it's going to be exciting, and we're going to reach a lot of people, and people are going to hear about Jesus, and you're saying, no, somebody else. Because you're here for the inspiration, not the implementation. And some of you go to God, and you're God, I just need something from you right now. And God's saying, okay, I'm going to do a miracle that's going to blow your mind. There's no water out in this desert. And what did Elisha say? You're going to have to dig some ditches. You're going to have to get to work. And this is the point where you're going to have to make a choice, Christian. Are you going to be the person that says, nope, I'm inspiration only. I'm not implementation. I just come to hear the message, but to apply it, no thank you. To love my wife like I should, to love her as Christ loved the church and Christ died for the church, so I'm willing to die for this woman. That means when I'm in bed, I'm tired, and she wants me to go get her something from the refrigerator, and I'm too tired to do it. I still do it. That's where the wives are supposed to say, amen, bless God, preach it, man. You know, wave hankies or something. That was your moment. It passed. It's all good. And, uh, or that moment when you as a husband, you were supposed to sacrifice and love them. And we say, nah, I'm not really down with that. Because you're all about the inspiration. You want to hear some jokes. You want something to make you feel good. But when it comes to real preaching, that's when you say, huh, is there another theater showing, you know, uh, the Minions movie or something? You're looking for an escape. You're looking to check out your mind. You know, you're looking for uh, what's on my phone right now. Because we love inspiration. I'll be the first person to say, I love inspiration. But honestly, we struggle with implementation. We struggle with doing what we know. Because the reality is, you and I know far more about the Bible than we're actually putting into practice. That's reality. And I know that hurts. That hurts me to hear. Because we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only, church. God said, we need doers. Hey, this world, you know what they think of most Christians? They don't think too highly. Do this for fun. Type in, in a Google search, All Christians are, and just see what Google automatically pops up with. That's what the world, and those Google searches, for those of you that are into this kind of stuff, they're populated by whoever's typing in stuff the most. That's where it's generated. It's not just like some dude at Google on the Google machine says, I hate Christians, so I'm going to make sure this nasty stuff pops up. No, that's because that's what people think of Christians. Why? Because we have a lot of people who hear inspiration, but don't implement it. 
They could post all kinds of nasty stuff about the Supreme Court instead of saying, wait a minute, I can go love somebody. I can tell somebody about Jesus. I can change this world. I can do something. Oh, no, no, I just want to get on Facebook and go on a rant. And that's your right. You could do that. I'm not preaching to get you. I'm just saying, hey, if you're going to go on a rant, please also go on a rant of love and say, hey, I'm going to go and show some kindness to somebody. I'm going to go show them that Jesus Christ loves them and died on a cross no matter what you've done. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love didn't change. Your sin is wrong, and you should confess, and you should repent. But Jesus Christ's love didn't change for you. He still died for you. My sin is just as wicked as anybody else's sin, church. Let's not look at our sin like it's not any better. Like, oh, no, 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 your sin is so much worse. We're all sinners before God. The, the playing field is level at the cross. We all need Jesus. And so let's come to church with an attitude of, wait a minute, what am I going to implement this morning? What am I going to apply to my life? What's going to make me better? I sat down with a, a person just really smart. I enjoy sitting down with them this week. And I said, hey, this might be really hard because anytime anybody tells me something I need to work on, I go to work on it. And he was saying, yeah, that's just rare. A lot of people don't. And I said, well, for Christians, that's just kind of what we do. I mean, every week we open up the word of God and we say, Lord, your word, it's a mirror and it's looking into my life and it's showing I got anger. It's showing I got jealousy. It's showing I got pride. It's showing I've got bitterness. And Lord, I got to work on this. And God starts pulling this junk out and he starts healing. He starts working and he's working on you and he's working on me and he's taking the clay and he's molding his masterpiece. And some of you are sitting here saying, I'm just a junk and I'm worthless and God is saying no you're not you're something great you're marvelous and I'm going to make something awesome out of you and I want you to pray something big hairy audacious for your life I don't want you to just go through thinking your life is empty and meaningless I've got so much more for you than that and so this morning the challenge this morning is what are you going to implement don't just come on Sundays and get inspired now I love it that you're here but if this church is only to inspire you please go find another church because we're doers Because I know you, church, you're the type that you'll give up a Saturday to go drop eggs on 3,000 kids. You're the type of church that shows up and says, I'm going to pass out some things on doors on your Saturday. You're the type of church that you show up when somebody's hurting, somebody's sick, and you drop off meals. You're the type of church that when they say, hey, we need to take up a special offering, you're there. You're the type of church that gives financially, serves sacrificially. You're the church that gets up early on a Sunday morning and sets up a theater so people can come and hear about God. You're that church. So if you're just here for inspiration, we love you. You're welcome here. But honestly, we want you on the team. We want you to get on board. We got work to do. There's 7.2 million people in our valley. And 3% go to any church. Any church. 3%. We're not doing a great job, church. We've got to tell people about Jesus. He's worth telling people about. He's worth sharing how he can change their life. We should be walking billboards of the goodness and grace and love of Jesus Christ to let people know that we serve a great God. He could do awesome things, but we're going to have to dig. We're going to have to dig. Touch the person next to you and say, let's dig together. Let's dig together. Let's dig together. Let's dig together. Let's not do this alone. I love the fact that we've got talented musicians and they do it together and they sound so awesome and they sing together, but they sing in harmony and they sound good because they do it together. The nursery works because they do it together. The greeter teams work because they do it together. Your marriage works when you're doing it together. Let's do this together, church. Let's not just be inspiration. Let's be implementation as well. You see, change happens in partnership with the purpose of God. 
We need to be in partnership with God. The Bible says, For thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not see the wind, neither shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both you, your cattle, and your beasts. God's saying, I'll provide the miracle. You just got to dig a little ditch. Who had the harder part? You, the, the soldiers or God? God did. He had to bring the rain. There ain't nothing you could do to bring rain. When I was little, they said, hey, there, when there's a lot of clouds or a lot of moisture in the air, that's how you get snow. So I was calling my friends. I was like, so if we boil a bunch of water, do you think we can make snow in Fresno? And they were like, no, man. You don't have that much water. That's not, that's not going to work. And I, my mind was spinning. I was just a little kid. I didn't know. I didn't know. But I was just thinking, that's what it takes. And I'll, I'm serious. Right now, we need some people to say, what would it take to see God bring the rain? Because don't you want to see God bring some rain in your life? Because some of you, you're sitting back and you're thinking, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to take care of this. And God's saying, I got the rain. But will you dig your ditch? Will you do your part? Because oftentimes, we're waiting on a miracle. But maybe the miracle's waiting on you. Hold on, hold on. When Peter stepped out of the boat, did the water, did the water just kind of like solidify hard like ice and then he stepped out of the boat once he saw that he could walk on it or did the water solidify once he took the first step help me church talk back to me please talk back to me once he took the first step hey hey help me church help me church the church when they crossed over the jordan the jordan river the children of israel the first time when joshua was leading them what happened did did the waters part and then they walked through or did the priests who were carrying the ark of the covenant did did they have to take the first step and dip their foot in water what happened what happened I'm testing your Bible knowledge. I know. I, I hate to test your Bible knowledge in church. That'd be a shame to talk about the Bible in church. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What am I doing? I'm crazy. All right. But, uh, but they had to take the first step. They had to take the step. What about the boy with his food and, and, and Jesus multiplied it? Did, 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 did Jesus kind of out of thin air make the 5,000 loaves and feed those, feed those people? The little boy had to, had, to, had, to, had to give. He had to dig a ditch. He had to do something. You see, you're waiting on a miracle. But the word for you is the miracle's waiting on you. And for years, you've been waiting on that miracle. Some have been waiting on a long time. And God's saying, that miracle is ready, baby. It is ready for you. But are you going to dig a ditch? This morning, the challenge is implementation. That's where most Christians struggle the most. Let's just be honest. That's where we struggle. That's where I struggle. As a pastor, I struggle. Implementation is hard. But great things happen when we take that step. God will bring the rain. God will bring it. We need the rain. We need the blessing. We need the favor. We need God's strength. We need God's provision. God will bring it, but we got to dig the ditch. we got to say, God, I need you. you. You want God to do great things in your life? How, often, how much have you prayed this week? Have you spent any time praying? Any time asking God for anything? Come on, five minutes in the morning, something, anything? I believe that sadly our prayer lives are so small. And they're so weak. And they're so sad. And God is saying, is that all you believe I can do? Is that it? Ask me for something big. You see, when the church first prayed in Acts chapter number 3, they were in the upper room, 120 people. They were gathered. They were praying. They were asking God to show himself mighty, show himself strong. And what did God do? God showed up in a big way. The Bible says there was a sound of as a rushing mighty wind. There was a sound. Their prayer was so powerful. The sound, it was audible. You could hear it. You could feel it. It's like the breath of God moving in that place. Hey, church, we need the breath of God moving in this place. Hey, you need it moving in your home. 
You need to move it in your business. You say, no, 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 no. Uh, church is where God is. My house is where I am. And my job is where my boss is. And we don't, the three do not cross. No, 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 they need to. Oh, yes, sir, they need to. You need to bring God into every area of your life and say, God, I need you here. You dig a ditch in your office and say, God, pour out your blessing here. You dig a ditch in your family and say, God, pour out a blessing here. You say, I don't know what to do with my son. I don't know what to do with my daughter. Then you dig a ditch and you claim it. And you say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray with this. I'm going to wrestle like Jacob wrestled with God and say, God, I'm going to wrestle with you on this one. I'm going to give myself to pray. Some of you say, well, my children, they're not struggling. Oh, pray. Pray for them. You'll never regret the time that you spent on your knees. Never. You're not going to look back and say, that was a waste. You won't. I promise you, church. You see, God wants to bring the rain, but we got to dig the ditch. God has the rain. God has the miracle. If you will do your part, the miracle is waiting on you when we're in partnership with God. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 3.19, and said this, And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. The Apostle Paul also said in Philippians, through our series we read this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That word know is the word gnosko, which literally means in the Greek, it doesn't mean just to know, head knowledge, it means to experience. When's the last time you've experienced God? Experience is more powerful than knowledge. That's why we have drug addictions. See, everybody knows drugs are bad. But it's the experience that we like. You follow me? You tracking with me? You say, we know God is good. But when we experience him to be good, that's a different Christian entirely. Somebody that doesn't just know it, they've experienced it. You see, we need to get to the point where it's not we just know about God. Well, we have experienced God. You say, I don't know what that, that's like. God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to show himself strong. He wants to do something through you. I told the people that got here early, we we met at 9.15 for a meeting. And I said, guess what? Sometimes God uses a pastor to change somebody's life. Sometimes God uses musicians to impact somebody's life. And sometimes he uses the person in the seat to change somebody's life. God can use anybody he wants to. Because the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. And so God may say, I want to use you to reach somebody. I want to use you. Are you experiencing God? God wants to use you. Are you playing your part and God's calling for you? They dug. They dug together and they dug hard. It took all night. This is what the Bible says in verse number 18. The Bible says this. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. This is but a light thing. This is just an easy thing for God. Hey, your problem that's big right now is easy for God. It's easy for God. There's nothing. It doesn't even take a thought. He's not worried about it. God says, this is an easy thing. Your biggest problem, your biggest nightmare is nothing for God. Nothing for him. And you're up all night worrying about it. And God's saying, why are you worrying about it? This is nothing for me. This is but a light thing for me. We've seen there's, God is trying to change our perspective on independence to interdependence. God is trying to get you from inspiration to implementation. And lastly, God is trying to get you from the invisible to see the incredible. You see, they couldn't see it. Notice what he said. He said, for thus saith the Lord, ye shall not see the wind, neither shall you see the rain, yet the valley shall be filled. Right now you're saying, I can't see it, preacher man. I don't see how God's going to do it. I don't see it. I lost my job. I don't see where the finances are going to come. I don't see how God's going to save this atheist friend. I don't see how God could change my life. God, I've got all these addictions, and I've got all those pasts, and I've got all this junk, and I've done all these stupid things. I've got to tell you something. You're not a product of your past, and you're not a subject of sin.
So stop looking at your life and saying, this is too far gone for God. God is saying, no, no, no. You need to get off, get off of the invisible, which you can't see, to see the incredible, what God can do. And God said, this is a light thing. In verse number 19, the Bible says this, and you shall smite every fenced city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and will stop up all the wells and mar every good place of the land with the stones. God's saying, hey, you, this army you're afraid of, I'm going to take care of it. You're going to clean their clock. It's not going to be an issue for you. Because why? They had to have their perspective change. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Some of you are looking for something you could see. You're looking for a shortcut and not the solution. And God is your solution this morning. And you need to get your eyes on what you can't see. It's a change of perspective. Change of perspective. I got to move. I got to move. Faith is making preparation for something you can't see. There was a church, they were getting together, they were in a drought. No, this church was not in California. And they were praying, they were all farmers, and they needed God to show up. They needed God to show up. They were to pray for rain. They were to pray for rain. And they were asking God, we need rain, we need rain, we need rain. And they met this little old country building, looked like an old schoolhouse. And they were praying, asking God for rain, God for rain. But then on the front row, a little girl brought an umbrella. One person believed that God could bring the rain. You're asking for something, but what are you preparing for? You see, faith prepares for something unseen. So we're asking God for something big, right? The other day, the church had got a bill, and it made me mad. It made me mad. Just so you know, when we get finances and stuff, I'm a, I'm a penny-pinching pastor, okay? I am cheap. I am cheap. I am cheap. And so I got this bill, and I was upset. I shouldn't. I try to be so good with my testimony on spending and everything, but I was just, oh, I was upset. We were paying $300, and they jumped to $500. So I was mad. I was like, well, we don't have this. We don't have it. And I was upset, and I was frustrated. I prayed about it. But then you know what God told me while I was praying? God said this. He said, guess what? They're charging you more because I'm preparing them to have to work more. Because right now, they're not having to do a lot because your church is kind of manageable. But I'm preparing your church for something. Do you get it? Do you get it? God said, hey, you're going to have to dig a ditch. You don't see it yet. It's invisible. Some of you don't get it. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. All right. The bill was here because our transactions weren't very much. All right. We didn't have a lot of work for them to do. They started charging me more and I thought they were gouging us. But then God spoke to me and said, guess what? They're going to have to do some more work because there's going to be some more people that are going to start showing up. And when they show up, I don't want you to have to adjust the bill. So I'm going to adjust the bill now. In faith, will you start paying this bill? Because I'm going to show up. I'm going to send some people. They're going to have to do some work. Are you getting it, church? Are you getting it? Are you getting it? Sometimes God wants you to dig without seeing any blessing. And God said, it's coming though. It's coming. They couldn't see the rain, but it's coming. It's coming. Touch your neighbor and say, it's coming. It's coming. You got to engage with me. You guys look sleepy. You don't get excited about the word of God. What if God's not boring? We're boring. Let's engage. This is exciting stuff. Look at the word of God and let it fire you up. That's why you came here. Come on. Some of you, at least some inspiration. Some of you, come on. Amen. I got a couple people. Praise God. We're having church now. Let's start it all over. I was getting fired up when they were singing that song, Trading My Sorrows. Man, if that didn't have you going, I don't know, Dougie. We're going to have to do something else. I don't know. We're going to give everybody some cocaine on the way in next week or something. All right? That's how we're going to grow this church. Man, I may have a prison ministry next week, but we're doing something to get you all fired up. All right? Faith is making preparation for something you can't perceive. I love this quote. Famous preacher, D.L. Moody. Some of you may remember him. He said, if God is your partner, make your plans big. If God is your partner, make your plans big. Make your plans big. Whatever the business adventure, whatever God is calling to you, make it big. Don't settle for small, short goals. God gets no glory in that. God gets no glory. Make those plans big. 
But then notice this. Some of you are saying, you're looking at this pastor, and you're saying, I don't get it, I don't get it. I, I, I see that God wants to work. And then I came across John 14, verse 12. It says, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever shall ask, you shall ask my name, that I will do. I read that, and I was, I was blown away. I was saying, that's an awesome promise that you and I have. An awesome promise. John 14, 12. Whatever we ask, we can do greater things. Not be greater than Jesus. No, no, no. You really are on crack if you think you're greater than Jesus. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we'll do greater works. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come and lives inside of us. That's a promise. But then I began to think about these promises that we have in Scripture. You know, God made a promise to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, number one. I know our time is short. Let me read it. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I give unto them, even the children of Israel. Every place of the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given to you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness in Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of the life. As I was with Moses... So also I will be with you. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. I need you to understand something. You and I have the same promise that everybody else in Scripture has. This is what I want you to live with. We have the same promise, but it's for a different purpose. God gave Moses and Joshua the same promise. I'm going to be with you. The promise for Moses was to bring the children of Israel out. The promise for Joshua was to bring the children in. You and I have the promise from God. It's for a different purpose. So don't look at somebody else and say, how come God blessed them? And God, no, no, no. God's got the same promise, but it's for a different pers- purpose. So it's all about our perspective. It's all about a perspective. I got on this week, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. I, there's this new app, and I love it. And you're going to think, wow, this guy is just like, man, full of himself or something. It's, it's called Periscope. Anybody on Periscope? Follow me, friend me. We can have... You know, videos and have all kinds of fun. And what I like about Periscope, we're live right now. Okay, church? All right, we are live. In just a second, you're all going to be on live. Live, ready? Ready? And you're going to have to say hi. You've got to be friendly. You can't be all sad. Don't be saved and mad about it. Too many people are saved and mad about it. All right, let's be happy. Okay? Say hi. Say hi. People, people are watching you right now. we got people on there. You're saying hi to them. Hey, this is our church. This is Southridge Baptist Church. Check this out. See? See, there we go. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, so what happens is, Periscope, the, the idea, and I'm going to leave this on. I'm going to leave this on, okay? The idea with this app, the idea with this is to show people what you're watching. It asks you, it asks you, what are you seeing now? And that's what it asks. It's based on perspective. Right now, my perspective is facing outward, okay? But I just double tap, and the camera flips. I'm sorry for everybody watching. I apologize right now. You're watching this, and you're saying, who is that ugly mug? And I found our perspective is our problem. Remember, we've got a problem in our life. We've got an issue in our life. And we're looking at it wrong. We're looking at that problem as it's keeping us from God, our perspective, okay? Right now, my camera is in what they call selfie mode, okay? Selfie mode, all right? Whoever came up with that is brilliant, but I hate them. The word just sounds retarded, selfie mode. But that's what it's in. I find too often... Our perspective is selfie mode on life. I find that we hit a problem and the mode is selfie. We're just looking at ourselves. Oh, how is that going to affect me? If I don't have a job, this is poor me. Oh, man, I I don't know. My wife is upset and, and, and it's not my fault. Our perspective, selfie. But we need to change the perspective. 
We need to flip the camera. We need to see it in a different light. The point of this message was so that you and I see the barrier to the blessing is not what we think it is. It's not the need. The need is not keeping you from God. The need is to bring you to God. The problem is the perspective. The problem is the perspective this morning, church. And we need to say, God, help me with my perspective. Help me see this problem in the right light. And God wants to do something incredible when we pray. Big, hairy, audacious prayers.